This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com. Welcome. And today, I am delighted to have on Marissa Telefer. Marissa is the host of the Abroad podcast. She's also uh, one of the recognized authorities on a, a new Spain's entrepreneurship program, which can be found at SpainBusinessVisas.com. Marissa, welcome. Hey, Callan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. So, uh, for people who don't know who you are, kind of give people kind of the fast track of your background, I guess, during your time in the U.S., because primarily now you're in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, but give people a background of, of who you were, of who you are, how you got started. Sure. Uh, kind of in a nutshell, I'm, you know, the typical uh, Gen Xer going after the American dream in the corporate world get my master's degree, climb in the corporate ladder. Uh, I did that about 10 years working for a large insurance company. And then after that time, I, I kind of felt a little dissatisfied with the path that I was on and kind of reaching that managerial level in corporate America. And I just, you know, to be perfectly honest, I found it kind of boring. And I thought, you know, this is it. And I was looking for, for something else. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. Uh, so I decided to take a sabbatical and I went to Europe for a few months and absolutely loved being abroad. I loved the interesting people that I met and I really liked who I was, um, being able to have that time to explore new cultures, uh, explore my own culture and uh, really try to figure out, you know, yeah, ask me who I was. I was trying to figure that out at that time. Right. And, uh, and for me, that was, you know, still an open question and I think it's kind of perpetually an open question as you grow and define who you are. Great. And I felt that continuing to travel was part of that journey for me. So when I came back to the U.S., I was trying to figure out ways to, to live abroad because it can be very difficult trying to get a visa or if I wanted to study abroad, like what were really my options. And I really wanted to stay in Europe. I wanted to stay in Italy, but there wasn't a whole lot of options for jobs. And that was kind of the path that, that I was most familiar with, go get a job. And uh, I came back and realized I couldn't... I wasn't looking really good for the job market in Europe, especially in Italy, since I didn't speak Italian. Um, so I decided, well, what are my other options? Well, my mother was born in Brazil, so I have a Brazilian passport, which means I can stay there and hang out as long as I want without a visa issue. So never having lived in Brazil, I contacted some family that I actually never met, and they were kind enough to, to host me and help me get set up there and get an apartment. and try to figure out what kind of uh, work options that I could have and, and what things I could do down in Brazil. Great. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up because kind of kind of backpedaling a little bit regarding how you say, you know, you really got tired of the corporate life because it was boring. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap. Uh, only 30% of Americans are actually happy with their job. So that's, so that's only... Is it uh, that high? I'd be surprised if it was that high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's still pretty low if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but so, um, you know, really, I'm quite sure a lot of people 
uh, can definitely relate to uh, the mundane, uh, the kind of the, the same old, same old every single week. And people get tired of that. And uh, people look forward to having, you know, some, some form of zest or adventure in their life. And that's definitely, that's definitely what it sounds like you was doing uh, in Europe. And I definitely agree in a sense that uh, it, could be, it could be hard to find work uh, in a lot of uh, different countries, especially uh, for example, let's say if the country is English speaking. So a lot of times, uh, you know, young people or even, even older people, they will expatriate and they'll like do something like teach English. That's kind of hard to do if you're, if you're, if you're planning on going to Australia or UK or right. another English speaking <laughs> country. But, uh, also too, when, when you factor that these other countries have high unemployment uh, rates, it does also make it difficult for, um, expats to find work in those countries. So, um, it seems like you found seems like you found a nice little um, a haven in Brazil. Now let's talk about that more. Uh, what, what was like your first days uh, in Brazil? Because a lot of people they want to expatriate, but they're scared. They have these fears, like like you said it before. You know, what I'm going to do for work. You know, what about this? What about that? A lot of people have these fears and they don't know what to to expect. What was your first uh, weeks like in Brazil? And kind of and kind of talk about you know. Your, your, the pros, the cons, your likes, your dislikes. Sure. Well, I went in with the mindset of, you know, I had the audacity to think that I actually wanted to like my work and like what I did. So I wanted to give myself some time to figure out what that meant. You know, I had this discussion with my father all the time. He says, like your work. That's why they call it work. It's supposed to be work. <laughs> You're not supposed to like it. Like, well, that's not true. And I don't, I don't think it has to be that way. So one of the things I tried to set myself up with was a little bit of a cushion to be able to, to figure that out. I had a little bit of savings that I brought with me to be able to find an apartment. And without speaking too much Portuguese, again, there wasn't a whole lot of options for work. But I was, fortunately enough, in a country where English was not the first language. So I started out doing that. And because of my business background, I found it pretty easy to find clients. There are a lot of people uh, in where I was in, where, uh, where I'm in Brazil, um, in Sao Paulo, it's the business center. So there are a lot of professionals. It's like a Latin New York. And they're fluent in English and just want more of a business perspective, business etiquette, how to write emails, how to give presentations in uh, more of an English type setting, an English culture, uh, business environment. So I was able to find, find a lot of work, actually, <laughs> too much work doing that there. The consistency, not so much. So that was a little bit challenging and, and the first couple of days I think that was one of the biggest things that I had to get used to was the lack of consistency in just about everything from looking for an apartment to punctuality to the transportation system to getting the identification because I had to get my I never had Brazilian documents like an ID card or anything like that so I had to get those things and they tell you to do it this way and then you get there and you need different documents or your picture's not the right size and that can be really frustrating. And I think you know you just have to have patience. And I I lost a lot of patience in those first uh, six months. I think when anyone decides to to live abroad and to try to make a life for themselves somewhere, you you go with an expectation. You try to be prepared. You try to do your research. But uh, it's it's really taxing. And I think you need to be patient with yourself and give yourself time to to adjust. So I would say the first six months. I thought it was going to be six weeks. It's like, oh yeah, in six weeks I'll have this down. I'll have my apartment, I'll have work, I'll have this. And that just was not realistic. It was closer to six months to where I really felt kind of settled in and I knew how to get around the transportation and, you know, where to go to my groceries. You know, the day-to-day -day activities that you have to kind of figure uh -huh. out. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, um, uh, that was 
that was kind of the same experience I had when I first uh, expatriated to a Latin American country. At that time, it was Ecuador, and I was totally lost. And I think I think it helps to have some type of preparation uh, to be able to mitigate uh, to offset those challenges that you may have. Um, uh, there's a great book um, that uh, I always recommend people. Uh, when they consider expatriating, it's called When Cultures Collide by Richard Lewis. And uh, actually, uh, the University of Kakao, I believe that's in Poland, uh, they're, they're, they've been permitted to archive that book for free. It's an excellent book uh, when it comes to various cultures, and it really, it really is a great primer on helping people to avoid culture shock because it's kind of a very comprehensive, down-to-earth uh, resource to really help you understand other cultures uh, because really uh, uh, the, the main premise of the book is uh, normal subjective. So, uh, so Brazilians have their own version of normal, as well as as well as Americans or Canadians have. Well, their and own when you say normal, it's like it's not exactly like as opposed to abnormal. It's it's more. I, I see it as common. You know, what's the common thing here, as opposed to that way might be less common or not existent in another way. And that's you know the common stuff is what people call normal because it's what they encounter more frequently or the way of doing it more more frequently. Right, right, and uh, also there, uh, you know, besides you having success in the business world, uh, you also have some success in uh, finding a partner. Uh, let's talk about that. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about what that was like, because I'm quite sure it's much different, uh, especially you know, going from dating in the U.S. and dating in Brazil. Quite sure there's a lot of different customs. Let's talk about that more. What was your experience? Well, and that's one of you know the things that culture seeps into a lot and, and defines a lot is relationships and the courting process and all the source, social norms that are around that, uh, which I had more being raised in the U.S., more of a U.S. perspective of where it's very open and women are very independent and women go out by themselves and it's not considered weird or unsafe, um, you know, to see a girl by herself at a pub after work. That's not, you know, hugely out of the quote-unquote normal. But in Brazil, that's extremely uncommon, um, even for men to, to go out alone. Um, it's always in groups. People bring their friends. They bring their friends that they've had since high school. So it was really hard for me initially to find a circle of friends and to go out on a Friday night or go to a bar or a nightclub. It's not something I could do by myself. Um, and to find a group to go with was also very difficult. And then there's also the social part of you know, getting a group of women to go out at a certain time is difficult anywhere in the world. But with the lack of punctuality in Brazil, it was almost impossible to get out before two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of frustrating as well. And I don't. And one of the reasons that I I, I kind of like to do my own thing is because I don't like to depend on other people's schedule, and that's more of a a U.S. mentality for women as well. So it was really hard. So I ended up, you know, feeling very alone. And uh, I also found since women didn't really go out by themselves or um, hang out at the bar to, to just make friends even, forget about dating, but just even looking for friends. Um, I would go by myself and I'd sit at a bar and I'd have a drink and no guys would buy me a drink. And that happened in the U.S. for me quite often that, you know, I would say, oh, that's, you know, smile at you and send you over whatever you're drinking. Six months, not one free drink in Brazil. And I was just crushed. But what am I doing wrong? Do I look wrong? And basically what they told me is because the women don't go out alone, other men assume that you're waiting for your boyfriend or your husband. So they won't make contact with you, they won't send you a drink, they won't approach you. Which is very strange, uh, you know, considering the social dynamic in, in the US and, and definitely in Europe, um, definitely you get approached 
you know, somebody's interested in. They just don't do that if they don't know you or they're not introduced to you. So I resorted to uh, online dating, <laughs> which is uh, how I found my uh, my now fiance, who's who's Brazilian. I went on to uh, a site called OkCupid. Oh, yeah. so, so that works down there? Oh yeah, it's international. It's everywhere. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I I know it was in Mexico, but I didn't know it went that far. That's cool. Yeah, I have it uh, Europe, just all over. A lot of ma- uh, major metropolitan cities. I wouldn't say it's all over Brazil, but right. definitely mm-hmm. Sao Paulo because they also have a, a big expat community. And I actually met some some other expats through the site as well. People that would come through and be visiting and and looking for friends or dating or whatever. It was a pretty popular site. Interesting. Continue. So. Uh, y- you met this. You met this gentleman. Uh, what was the interaction like? I'm quite sure he probably spoke English because you didn't speak any Portuguese. So, um, <laughs> how, what was the first date like? Uh, well, you know, was was there anything you was freaked out by or anything that you was wowed by? Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, um, I, I'm fortunate. He, his English actually is better than mine at times. Um, so we we generally spoke in English. I did try to go out on a few dates with uh, with guys that did not speak English and didn't go very well. I felt very uncomfortable because being able to express myself as a three year old is not really something you want to be at a little higher level when you're when you're going out with somebody and trying to get to know them. So uh, I kind of filtered that criteria, and all of his correspondence to me was in perfect English. He knew a lot about um, the U.S. culture. Uh, we had a lot of common interests. He liked U.S. comedy and comedy in English. So, a lot of a lot of those things. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Especially in particular to to comedy and, and you know popular films, you get a lot of what the other culture is like. So I didn't ha- feel like I had to explain you know things about certain sitcoms or you know any kind of pop culture that was going on in the U.S. because he was very privy to that. So yeah, the first date wasn't awkward at all. It was uh, it was really we had a lot of fun and. Uh, you know, because of that, because we had so much in common, the relationship kind of went pretty fast in the beginning. And uh, after a couple months, we were just spending a lot of time together, and he was spending a lot of time at my place because I have a dog, which I have to be home for pretty regularly. So instead of going over there, and I kind of felt like, well, you kind of live here anyway most of the time. You know, what do we think about you know trying to to live together? You know, it's definitely more economical than you spending all this money in your downtown place and then spending all your time here. So we talked about it for a little while and decided to make a little a little trial of it for a couple of weeks. And he came over and for two weeks just went to work for my place and and everything worked out well. It clicked, it clicked very well. And after that two weeks, he went back to his place and closed out his lease and grabbed his few things. He had a really small flat, pretty much no furniture, so just some personal stuff he brought over and in a, a couple of car rides. And he. He was really emotional about it, which was kind of surprised. I mean, I was happy to have him, and I was going to spend more time with him, and that was great. But, you know, he kept telling me it was a really big step. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, if, if you know, thinking to myself, it doesn't work out, you can just take all your stuff and fill those cars back up and go to another place. <laughs> like, it's not that, I mean, it's a big deal, but he was just very serious. And then I, I found... Uh, about a week later, we went to have lunch with his family in another city and with his aunts and uncles and his grandparents. And his grandmother was just hugging me and kissing me and just happy to see me. And I'm like, oh, great. And she grabbed the camera and she's like, Vamos tirar las fotos dos nuevos, which means uh, let's have take a picture of the wedding couple. And I, and I knew that much Portuguese. I translated it in my head and I looked at my, my boyfriend at the time and I said, what is she talking about? He's like, oh, well, you know, when you move in together here in Brazil, it's like you're married. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> I didn't sign anything. What do you mean we're married? We're not married. I've known you for two months. 
you know, we're just trying to economize here and split the bills and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So it was a, it was a little bit strange. So from the uh, first date up until the the, uh, the time he moved in with you officially, it was two months? Right around two months, yeah. Wow. Wow. Pretty quick. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's magazine, best web hosting service. Yeah, usually here in Mexico, it's quite the contrary when it comes to dating. It's more of like a, uh, think, of a think of a clock. How it starts at 12, it goes back to 12. That's how essentially it takes before a person actually uh, officially considers each other a boyfriend uh, and girlfriend. When it comes to dating, it's much, uh, the, the, it's much longer. It takes much longer here. It's like more like, it's, it's more like... Uh, People, they spend time as far as investing time in each other, as far as learning about each other. And then, like, after a certain amount of time, then they will actually consider each other uh, boyfriend and girlfriend. So. Do they get married younger there? Like They do. They, they, they yeah. do. But, um, but uh, I would say, like, it's okay. So that could be subjective. Now, right. when we say young, uh, they're usually married by by 27, 28, usually married by that time. Uh, mm-hmm. But usually during 18 up until 25 is usually, I guess, the courtship process. Or like I said, mm-hmm. they're getting to know each other. They eventually, they consider themselves boyfriend and girlfriend. But between that time, they like consider themselves a couple up until a marriage. It's very short. It's usually like, like just like you, it's usually like, um, uh, like three, like two months, three months, six months. But usually, there's a. But the only difference is there's a longer period as far as kind of cultivating that relationship as being boyfriend and girlfriend. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, fun. it's a little yeah. It, I mean, it also can be a stage in your life as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm 35, so I've I've been around the block and I've seen some stuff. So like you know, let's give it give it a go. Like I said, you know, bring your stuff. If it doesn't work out, give you all your stuff back and and we'll figure it out and move on. So. Right. Kind of think uh, after a decade, you, you kind of know what you want and, and, you know, take the risk. Give it a go. And with that being said, you say y'all moving together as, as another reason being to, uh, to you know, cut your expenses to save more money. Um, is, is Sao Paulo, is the cost of living very expensive? Oh, it's ridiculously expensive there. Oh, wow. Really it's is. like New York. It's a lot like New York. Uh, the only thing that's less expensive is, I guess, the Brazilian beer. Uh, it's pretty cheap, but everything else, from the cars to the hotels to apartments, are, are wow. very expensive. So, so it, yeah. How, how much, if you could, like, if you could kind of just uh, guesstimate, how much would a two-bedroom apartment cost in Sao Paulo? A two-bedroom apartment would probably run between four to six thousand reais, and I say it in reais because people always ask me, well, how much is that in dollars or in euros? I, I try to tell them to focus on the units. So four to six thousand is four to six thousand, and I compare it more to the, what the minimum wage is in uh, in Brazil. The minimum wage is eight hundred reais per month. So think like eight hundred bucks per month, and a two bedroom apartment will cost you between four to six thousand. Wow! So it's way many times over. An iPhone will cost four thousand reais. So you've got somebody that's making two hundred a week, and you know they can't even afford a phone. 
they'd have to work five months to be able to buy a phone. Wow. It's like that here, too. Uh, Mexicans, they work uh, six days a week, uh, sometimes even six and a half days a week. And uh, I really admire their work ethic here. But uh, actually, I guess the difference here is the cost of living is not as expensive as it is in Sao Paulo. At least look at it from a gringo perspective. But um, continuing, uh, so, you know, uh, so now I, I think the question that people are kind of interested in is like okay since society in brazil considers you and your and you, you and your significant other as a couple as husband and wife is that the same way when you're if you want to apply for a passport in brazil no if you want to actually apply for documents then you need to sign some paperwork so where it comes into play um, from my experience and, and, and you know my experience with the process I'm not a Brazilian attorney but uh, it's been explained to me uh, by my family there and by friends that if for some reason we were to separate if we were living together uh, for a year and we were to separate I think it's a year it could be two um, it would be the common law marriage so while I wouldn't have rights to get a passport or any, uh, any of those kinds of things um, I would have rights to uh, alimony uh, if we were to separate. So if I was staying home, you know, taking care of kids or taking care of the house and he was working and we were living together for two years and I had no income and then he left, um, I would have rights to some sort of alimony. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and also, too, uh, also I had you on, too, because um, I'm quite sure a lot of the listeners are uh, want to know, know, know more about the, uh, Spain's entrepreneurship program. And I never heard of it until you introduced me to it. So uh, if you would, uh, share what, what exactly that is and how can, uh, uh, U uh, how can U.S. citizens uh, take advantage of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, so in, in doing some different types of consulting and, and immigration work uh, in Brazil, um, I stumbled upon uh, this uh, Spanish Entrepreneur Visa Program. I actually heard about it on, a, on another podcast, uh, and there was a, an article in the New York Times a while back about this program. And I was very curious because um, I'm really uh, curious about the movement of location independence and being able to, because that allows just more travel, and that's really what I want. And I had created in Brazil a very location-dependent uh, business that was also located in a very expensive place to live. Um, and with all the currency also having some challenges this year, I thought, well, I, I'd really like to have more mobility. So when I heard about this program, essentially what it is, is about two years ago, the Spanish government amended their investor visa uh, policy and changed the law. So most countries have some sort of investor visa where you can just drop a bunch of money in the country, usually a half a million or something around that, a good chunk either in a business or in property or even just in a bank account and you can apply for uh, a long-term visa or a residency permit. Well, Spain amended the law and created an entrepreneur visa and residency program that allows folks that have uh, a business, an international business, or would like to start a business in Spain to be able to submit a business plan uh, about their existing business or a startup business and apply for a visa and a residency permit that's good for two years and renewable indefinitely. So any anyone, doesn't have to be just Americans, but uh, anyone that has uh, an online business uh, that's a global business can apply under this program and they need to fulfill one of three criteria. Uh, they need to either create jobs in Spain, have uh, some type of uh, socio-demographic development in a particular part of Spain, or have uh, a business venture that is technologically innovative. 
Uh, so I've kind of clinged to that last criteria of technologically innovative, which includes other location-dependent entrepreneurs like myself that have their businesses based online and essentially can live anywhere. And because it's an online business and it's the internet type of business, it's viewed as technologically innovative since the internet's always moving and changing every day and the innovativeness is constant. So um, that's what we do. We help uh, entrepreneurs create a business plan that is attractive to Spain based on their existing um, online business and apply for uh, a visa if necessary or the residency permit directly. So Great. people that can apply for the uh, residency permit are folks that are uh, visa exempt like you and I. The U.S. citizens, Australians, Canadians can just go to Spain and visit. And those folks can just apply directly for the permit. If you're from a country that that needs to apply for a tourist visa anyway, then there is the entrepreneur visa step and then uh, the residency program. Okay, so, and, and that's good. So, uh, so you stated that uh, initially uh, you get your entrepreneur's visa and then it's renewable uh, indefinitely. Now, once it renews, is, is, does it become also like a, a permanent residency permit? The entrepreneurship um, law, it's called the Ley de Prenedores, is essentially for permanent residency. It's to establish yourself and your business in Spain for, for the purposes of economic growth in Spain. So they want you to be a permanent resident. You only need to get the visa, like I said, if you don't, if you need a visa to visit Spain. So if you don't need a visa to visit Spain like you and I, you go and apply directly for the permanent residence that's uh, two years and then renewable after every two years. And then after 10 years as a, as a U.S. citizen, you can apply for uh, citizenship and uh, passport. EU passport. Okay, so once you have the entrepreneur visa, uh, since Spain's a part of the EU, does that allow you to travel to other EU countries or can you only stay within Spain? Nope, that completely opens up Europe for you. So you're positioning yourself as an entrepreneur with a global business. That happens to be based in Spain. So if you have your business located in Spain, uh, a bank account in Spain, but for some reason it makes more sense for you to spend a few months in Berlin or in another part, you're free to, to travel within uh, Europe without having that 30 days in, or I'm sorry, 90 days in, 90 days out rule. Oh, okay. Very interesting. And so all you need to do is, well, once you get into Spain, just submit a business plan. And uh, do you have to have health insurance? I know some I know some countries require that when it comes to like certain visas. Well, before you get to Spain, you want to have the, the business plan approved by the Ministry of Economics. And then uh, once you have that approved, that's kind of your your special golden ticket to apply for the, the residency permit. And there are several other requirements. Uh, you need a health certificate from your doctor, you need private health insurance, you need a criminal background check, uh, a few a few things like that, a little bit of red tape just to make sure that you're, you're healthy and a good citizen before you actually get your residency permit. Wow, that, that, that is amazing. And because uh, also, too, for people who don't know, um, and Marissa stated earlier, uh, there was a woman uh, from Silicon Valley who uh, expatriated to Spain, a part of this entrepreneur uh, visa program. And she had a, I believe it was a fitness uh, business uh, that was doing like online fitness videos. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. She was helping fitness instructors create online videos. Yeah, and uh, she was very successful with that. Uh, she, she, I mean, she had some challenges because, uh, like, during that time, it was like just starting the, the, as far as the right. entrepreneur uh, visa program. So she had some challenges, but she was able to get it uh, also as well. So that's great. Uh, I think the only challenge that people kind of worry about, like, wow, ten years just to get citizenship. But I mean, you know, there's there's also ways you can kind of, I guess, you know, maybe shortcut it. Well, or, you might meet a Spaniard. You never know. 
Yeah, yeah. Or a German go. or anybody else. So there you go. They have okay Cupid in Europe too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, and um, probably too. Like, uh, if you wanted to, you had the time to dedicate. Uh, if you if you adopted a child, that probably would qualify too. Would you say? Uh, I, I would say so. I'm not familiar with that particular immigration law, but yes, if you if you'd like to adopt a child, or as they say in the U.S., some kind of anchor to get you there, I'm, I'm sure there's probably a way as long as that person's a citizen. Right, right. Cool, cool. Wow. So that's terrific, and I'm quite sure um, uh, a lot of the listeners will be interested in learning more about that. So tell people, Marissa, what do you do at SpainBusinessVisas.com? Um, it's actually SpanishBusinessVisas.com. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem. Uh, SpanishBusinessVisas.com is a site uh, and a program specifically for location-independent entrepreneurs. So like I said, anyone that has uh, a business that's primarily on the internet. So product-based services, blogs, uh, and someone that's, whose business is not necessarily tied to a specific region or they can work from anywhere. Uh, and what we're trying to do is there's been a, a trend for I don't know, the last six to ten years of of digital nomads and location dependence um, going to Asia and living in Asia because of the cost of living and, and the freedom and it's a little bit easier to deal with the visa situation so that, that they can stay there and, and work from there and now folks are looking at Europe um, especially Spain since the cost of living is is relatively low especially for Europe um, trying to give themselves more freedom globally to be able to, to travel and travel with between Europe and Asia and also the time zones a little bit more friendly for folks that have global businesses but there's always been that you know 90 days in 90 days out it's kind of hard to get settled and establish a business uh, so I've developed a program for those folks the biggest hurdle really is creating a business plan in Spanish um, that meets the, the criteria so we've partnered uh, with a law firm uh, that's based in Barcelona that has experience uh, in these types of entrepreneur visa and residency permit programs. They've done it um, many times over the last couple of years um, and have a department dedicated to that. So there are partners on the Spanish side as far as the legal regulations. We help develop the, the business plan in English uh, based on what their current business is and, and what they intend to, to do and, and why it's uh, advantageous for them to be in Spain. And then the attorney helps us translate that into Spanish and make it sound uh, professional and meet the requirements in Spanish and answer any types of questions that the, the government would have and then they uh, file for the residency permit after the uh, business plan has been approved. Great, great. And and give people an idea on what would be the the uh, the, the, the time window uh, um, from you helping them versus them doing it by themselves. Ooh, I from for me helping them, I would say it's reasonable to expect you know from first contact, initial consultation to residency permit. Um, about two to three months, depending how quickly folks can move with gathering their own documentation and, and uh, giving me the information to develop the business plan. That, uh, that would be the quick part. Trying to do it on your own is definitely uh, feasible, uh, but like I said, that we have a more streamlined process because we have the, the Spanish folks and the, the government and attorneys that we've partnered with to, to help get through that red tape and know how to respond to questions and, and you know what box to check and what to say in Spanish. So with any Latin government and a lot of bureaucratic countries, there can be a lot of back and forth, which you know I've heard of people being delayed more than a year wow. um, in some of these processes trying to do it themselves. It's not impossible, and you know we're trying to get some information out there for people that want to write their own business plan and get it translated into Spanish. And this woman that uh, that was featured in the New York Times 
did do it kind of by herself, but her business partner was a Spanish lawyer. So that helped out a lot. Definitely. So, yeah, you definitely want to have that side, you know, going in cold and into another country in a different language and trying to, to get a residency permit. I don't know how quickly. I, I, I don't even want to guesstimate how quickly you could do it on your own. Oh, okay. So it definitely will help probably just to, uh, you know, go through you and do it because not only they can save themselves the heartache, but uh, working with you, you already have context in place and it can definitely streamline it and hopefully they can get their uh, um, uh, entrepreneur visa in three months rather than six months or maybe even a year so uh, so I mean right. for, for the listeners you have to really uh, you have to really discern uh, you know what's worth more to you do you mind waiting more do you mind paying more that's something you have to well, think about but I would advise that people if they want to get it done as quickly as possible a resource like uh, Marissa's uh, SpanishVisas.com is definitely a good option yeah, thanks, Callan. I we're more focusing on you know, like I said, location independent entrepreneurs, where the majority of their time they want to spend on their business and growing their business and um, and with their clients. So going through the red tape and the back and forth of you know what needs to be in Spanish, when do I go get my background check? What is this apostle thing? You know, we just uh, kind of guide them through the process and let them know what they need to do when with that uh, Spanish legal oversight. Great. And uh, now coming to a close, Marissa, tell people uh, besides, I know besides uh, com, you also have their broad podcast. You know, tell people some other things that you're doing, you're working on, and how can people follow you? Oh, great. Um, yep. In addition to com, where you can find a little bit, find out a little bit more about the um, entrepreneur visa program and, and how we can help if you're interested in that. There's also a uh, our newsletter that you can subscribe to as things change with the law. We send out emails trying to help people uh, decide if it's right for them or give them tips. Uh, and then also I have a weekly podcast called The Abroad Podcast, uh, similar to yours where I talk to other expats about their expat life experience, uh, why they decided to move abroad, what kind of uh, cultural changes uh, that they have, why they decided to stay. Um, basically sharing those, those personal growth experiences uh, with folks around the world. Great. So, yeah, if, if you are definitely uh, interested in listening to more uh, expat lifestyles, definitely check out uh, Marissa's Abroad's podcast. And also, if, you, if you're if you interested in the Spain's uh, entrepreneurship program, like I said, you don't want to, you don't want to spend, uh, you know, uh, years <laughs> to, 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 to wait for uh, um, the government to actually get back to your application, definitely will recommend um com to streamline a process. Marissa, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much, Cal, and I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at Seen and Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.